Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. What a day. How about that? NBA draft, baseball trade deadline coming up, and who's waiting for the deadline today? Let's make moves yesterday. And the Jazz trading down and taking Jared Butler, most outstanding player in the Final Four, but reported heart condition, had to go through a special panel of doctors to be okay declared in the NBA. And so a guy who was certainly a first-round pick, could have been a late lottery pick, and we'll never really know how that would have gone and where he would have played out because once the medical stuff hit, man, NBA teams took that seriously, and he plummeted. And the Jazz pick him at number 40 after trading down from the 30th spot, making a deal with Memphis and picking up three second-round picks. They use one here. The other two are future picks down the road. So reaction people, hop on Facebook. What do you think? Hit me up, David DJ James, or on Twitter at David DJ James. You know, Butler, um, an, an older guy, uh, he's played three years of college ball, and there are only seven seniors taken, which is a record low for the draft since the common era. I don't know, I think of it since the draft started in 1966, which is a little more than, what, going on 55 years ago now? Roll the dice here by the Jazz. I don't know how the hell it's going to work out. Obviously, Butler shouldn't have been the 40th pick if all of the things are equal. I mean, that's clearly obvious. He really plummeted with the health stuff. So the Jazz have got to feel pretty good about uh, his ability to play. And if not, you well, know, that's a second-round pick. There you go. So we'll get to the reaction coming up. Uh, Justin Zanuck, Jazz GM, we'll hear from him coming up. Um, plenty of other trades going on. The uh, the top of the NBA draft, that was pretty straightforward. Cade Cunningham, number one to Detroit, as expected. Probably the first surprise was Jalen Suggs, Gonzaga's star, uh, not going fourth. He goes fifth. The Raptors pass on him, so he ends up in Orlando. Other than that, Jalen Green second, uh, Evan Mobley third. That was that was pretty much what everybody expected. So Barnes over Suggs was really the first the first surprise in the draft. Um, a lot of foreign guys drafted. Some guys coming straight over. Some guys who come over for high school or college. But the international uh, the international player continues to make an impact. We'll see where that goes. Um, but for Jazz fans. Uh, the gamble, the value pick, I don't know what you want to call it. We'll, uh, we'll get your reaction as the morning uh, goes along. It's a, I guess it's a tough one for a lot of fans to evaluate because based on talent, you can't really say anything. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, great pick. Uh, but his health and what came out of the doctor's evaluations of him and this heart condition, how serious is it, what is the implications there, pretty hard for us to, to judge that one. We'll hear from Justin Zanuck coming up. All the NBA or all the uh, other NBA news. Well, the big news, of course, Westbrook is going, and Kyle Kuzma. Uh, the trade is done. The Wizards, um, and the Wizards send Westbrook and and get a haul back. Now, where are the Wizards going to be in the East? Is this going to change anything? Can the Lakers count on Westbrook? He puts up stats, but is he going to win? Is he going to win in the playoffs? Um, a team that needs shooting gets a guy who's, well, at best a streaky shooter. They give up Kyle Kuzma, Montrez Harrell, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, who did some nice stuff for him along with Kuzma and Harrell, and the number 22 pick in the draft. So 
the Lakers going all in on Westbrook, and I guess now with the salaries they've got, it'll just be who can they recruit at the veteran minimum uh, to play, and then can they keep their three stars healthy, and how will that work? So, but was, Russell Westbrook is an LA guy, so he's going home. He's got to be. He's got to be pumped about that. Now it's funny that the big basketball trade, Washington sending a star to LA, and then you got baseball with the Washington Nationals sending the Dodgers Max Scherzer and sending him Trey Turner as well. So just loading the Dodgers up. I mean, the rich get richer. Now, the Dodgers, and I guess that deal isn't quite finalized, but everybody thinks it's done. Uh, the Dodgers are three games behind the Giants. They've still got work to do. They're the favorite to win the World Series. And, of course, you can do it from a wild card spot where they sit now, but that is the hard way. So we'll see if this gets them, gets them over the hump against the Giants and gets them into first place there. Giants are three games up on the Dodgers and six up on the Padres. And that was hardly the only deal. Uh, the Cubs, are they going to break them up? Are we going to see more, more players dealt? But uh, Rizzo from the Cubs to the Yankees. So the 2016 Cubs, they break the jinx. They break through. But now it's looking like uh, everybody's on the move. That's all that's been talked about in baseball for you know a week or two here is that this is going to happen, this is going to happen. And sure enough, um, Anthony Rizzo to the Cubs, a um, couple minor leaguers in the deal, and apparently a pile of cash. Uh, there's a report that it's like $5.5 million, uh, which, you know, Rizzo's got a big deal, so I guess the money's just there to, to balance that out. Um, couple shockers there. There you go. Those are, those are big names changing hands. The Padres were supposed to get Scherzer. Earlier in the day, that was all the talk. Instead, the Padres ended up getting a relief pitcher, Daniel Hudson, from the Washington Nationals. So uh, that's a, uh, a smaller move around, around the edge. Uh, Hudson's 34, and he's had a couple of Tommy John surgeries. But, hey, one, one more arm can't hurt, I suppose, right? One more arm can't. Can't be a problem there. All right, we'll get into all the rest of it uh, coming up. But, man, plenty plenty going on. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. More in a moment. Stay with us. Take The Zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of The Zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280, The Zone. Well, at the Olympics, uh... Shocker, man. Simone Biles pulls out, and was she going to go back-to-back as the Olympic gymnastics champion? And then another American wins it anyway. And uh, there's been plenty of talk about Simone Biles and why did she do it and where is she? And Riley Jensen, who um, comes on our show all the time talking about football, is a mental strength coach and works with Utah State, Weber State, Real Salt Lake, uh, works with some of the local high schools as well. He joined us yesterday to talk about it and about some of the pressures on young athletes and the way they're reacting, the way their parents are reacting. And here's Riley. 
Today has been really stressful. We had a workout this morning. It went okay, and then just that five-and-a-half-hour wait or something, I was just, like, shaking, could barely nap. I've just never felt like this going into a competition before, and I tried to go out here and have fun and warm up in the back, went a little bit better, but then once I came out here, I was like, no, mental is not there, so I just need to let the girls do it and focus on myself. Had Simone Biles right there pulling out of the gymnastics competition. The U.S. takes the silver. We're going to talk with Riley Jensen here in a minute. Riley Jensen, former Utah State quarterback. Worked here at the zone for a while. Now he's got his own company. And he is a mental performance coach working with uh, Ralph Salt Lake and working with uh, Utah State, Weber State. He's got other clients as well. And he joins us right now on the Smart Rain guest line. July is considered Smart Irrigation Month. To celebrate, Best of State Award winner Smart Rain has given away free smart controllers to commercial properties until the end of July. Hosting costs not included. Visit smartrain.net or call 877-346-3333 for more info. Riley, good morning. What's going on? It's that time of year. I can smell football in the air. We got the Olympics going on. It's all kind of fun stuff. Yes, but now there is controversy at the Olympics because Simone Biles, arguably the face of the Olympics, coming off four gold medals in 2016 and a fifth medal that was bronze, pulls out of the competition, and that shocks people and hard to believe, but this has been politicized already. I mean, why wouldn't it be? It's gymnastics. Naturally, it's political. And I'm curious what you think when you watch this, but I have to say, I feel like a judge here. I'm going to give you very little latitude here. I feel like I'm in a movie. (laughs) But we're not Simone Biles. We're not in Japan. We're not talking to her. So all the people who popped up on social media with these opinions about what's wrong with American youth, I'm like, have you even talked to her? How How can you know from half a world away? Well, I guess you don't have to know to pop off. You get to just pop off. So I don't know how much you want to speak about that. I Eventually, I want, and pretty quickly, I want this conversation to go to, you know, parents of high school athletes and college athletes, and because we keep hearing about this. But first, do you have anything on what you heard from Simone Biles, anything that with your experience starts checking boxes? Well, I think I listen. I think the the most important thing for us to remember here, and with the athletes that I work with, whether they're professional or high level college athlete athletes or Olympic athletes, it's that these are human beings, right? With with real feelings, with with real thoughts, with you know, they're, they're not made of Teflon. And I know there's a lot of people out there wondering, you know, is this a, is this a real win for mental health, or is this a is this a big loss for athletic grit? And I think I, I think it's way more nuanced than that. And and in in the world that we live in, and the Twitterverse that we live in, and the Instagram world that we live in, I know everybody wants to have like a a, a clear cut picture as to what's exactly going on. But I think you're right. I think this is nuanced. I think this is. I think first and foremost, I'm just concerned for her. Um, I'm there's one side of me that's super proud of her for for you know being able to speak up and talk about these things and this may be hundreds of thousands of lives of young men and young women that she's influenced to be able to at least speak about how she's really feeling or he's really feeling and and i think it can be really really helpful and and then there's you know 
there's the older group, there's the old school group that's like, yeah, but whatever happened to grit, whatever happened to fighting through, and and like you said, we don't know. I mean, we just don't know. I I would hope that that athletes are still battling through things and doing those sorts of things, but I also would hope that we've changed a little bit and that we're willing to um, recognize that the mental health and the me- mental stability and the mental toughness of these athletes that we're working with is is paramount and that it's something that's really important and it's a key component to success and a key component to performance and and we're seeing it right before our eyes well i find it hard to believe that i was reading stuff about grit last night i'm thinking well you probably don't win four olympic gold medals without grit so she's got it in that regard the fact that we're discussing here someone who is a proven winner at this level removes a piece of the conversation that might have accompanied another athlete at this level who was at this level for the first time. So I think oh, yeah, I that think that changes it. I mean, she's just too accomplished. No, no question. I mean, well, it would be hard for me to imagine even a person who hadn't won four gold medals like she has and hadn't had the grit and, and the, the winner's attitude that she's had in the past. It would be hard for me to imagine somebody that had put five years of their life into trying to get to the Olympics and trying to perform at their highest level. I mean, I can't imagine the, you know, the, the crevice that she came up to that, that, that she had to analyze and say, you know, I don't, I don't think I can, I don't think I can do this. I don't know if it's right for my team. I don't know if it's right for me. It's a possibility I could get hurt. There's all kinds of different things going on. And I just can't even imagine someone who hadn't won a medal that would just back out for no reason, right? For no reason at all. I mean, these people are competitors. They want to win. Of course she wants to win. And so it's, it's really easy to, you know, to get on our platforms and it seems like everybody has a platform lately and, and just kind of to say like, Oh yeah, this is, this is the way it is. And I, I can't believe she did this or, or this is the way it is. I can't believe that anyone would ever criticize her. Right? I, I mean, I can kind of see a little bit of both sides, but I think what you have to do in that case is you need to take off your fandom hat and put on your human being hat and just say, I'm, I'm worried about this on a whole level. Like, what, what are we doing to athletes? And what are we doing to high school kids? What are we doing to college kids? It's making them feel this much pressure that they can't even perform in a sport that they, that they love. I talked to Tim Lacombe about this a while ago, and I was asking him uh, how much more time were you spending on athletes' mental health at the end of your coaching career than you were at the start. And he was just like snorting, making noises. He couldn't even speak in words. So much more. I don't know. 80% more. A lot more. And so, and then subsequently talking to other coaches, well, he's just right in line with what everybody else is saying. So is, is something happening to this generation of kids? And a lot of people go straight to social media and phones. And I'm, there's other things. Could there be environmental factors, food factors? You know, th- there could be a lot of stuff. Is there something I, I, going on you've seen in this generation? Because you played in a previous generation. You know, you're older than these current athletes. You're younger than me and PK. And we certainly heard Suck It Up. And we talked with Steve Cleveland about this, about how things have changed, because he played, he's a little older than PK and I, and he played for a generation of coaches who went through the Depression and World War II, which had its own mental health issues 
that got addressed in a very different way. So we're kind of evolving here, for better or worse, going sideways. I don't know how you would say it. But for parents who are of one generation, what are they supposed to be looking for in their kids to figure out if their kids are struggling or not? When I, when, when I talk to parents, I ask them all the time, like, what's your job as a parent? What's your job as a coach? Right? And those are two different questions. But your job as a coach is to help your athletes to perform at the highest level. And this generation is different. And, and yes, we can point to social media. And I think there's, I think there's some strong evidence that's talking about our smartphones and, and some of those things. But I think there's also a little bit, and, and this might be just a little bit of a different angle. When, when you look at the AAUs and all the comp teams and the club teams and all these different things, um, we have taken away the art of practice, in my opinion, Meaning we play so many basketball games, we play so many baseball games, we play so many soccer games that we've lost that ability for a kid to go out and actually just play in his yard and actually kind of mess around like, and make mistakes where like nobody can see where it's not really a big deal. And so there's, I think what's happening to me is that pressure has been on kids a lot longer because they're, they're always in games. You know, when I was young, David, when I was learning how to throw a curveball for Little League Baseball, I mean, I probably worked on it for two years in practice in the backyard with my dad, messing around with my brother, kind of messing around with the sweat on my forehead to see if I could get it to move more, all that kind of stuff. You cheater! Yeah, before I ever, before I ever actually, like, put it into a game or actually threw a curveball in a game. And now you're talking about eight-year-olds, nine-year-olds on comp teams, and you're learning a curveball on the fly, and you're learning it, and, and you throw one up around somebody's eyes, and they hit a home run, and all of a sudden you feel all this pressure, like you let your teammates down, you let your dad down, you let your family down. And I think we can do a better job as parents of, of just telling our kids that we love to watch them play, regardless of outcome. I mean, it's a really good thing to say to your kid is, like, I love to watch you play. And then as a coach – like being really, really attentive as to why you want them to do things the way that you want them to do it. It's really hard to do as a coach. It used to be old school coaches were like, well, you do what I say because I'm the coach and that's what you do. Well, this generation wants to know why. Why am I doing this drill? Why am I making this effort? And when they know why, they work just as hard as any generation ever has. But that's hard to work for coaches. But I tell coaches all the time, but if you want to win and if you want to be a good coach, you've got to make that extra effort. It's different now. And, and whether you like it or not, it's different. Athletes are different. And I think, I think we're seeing this, right? We're seeing that athletes, as much as they win, they, they still have their frailties and their weaknesses. And I think it's okay for us not to be okay. I think it's okay for us to admit that something's not quite right. Now, what the reaction is to that, I mean, there's always going to be consequences to that. There's always going to be the fanatics out there that, say different things and do different things, but that's why we have to tune out a little bit. We have to focus on what's what's most important now. Not to debate anything you said, but I just think additionally, a separate chapter, there seems to be a baseline of stress and anxiety that people are bringing to... It doesn't matter what. I mean, it could be bringing it to sports. They could be bringing it to music. They could be bringing it to the classroom. They could be bringing it to drama, whatever. There just seems to be a baseline of stress and anxiety. How do you get people to deal with that? Well, I think part of that falls into this, this, 
there, there's a huge problem in our society with perfectionism. If, if I had to tell you how many people that I deal with on a day-to-day basis that are dealing with perfectionism, it's, it's a large number. Over 80% of the people that I work with are perfectionists. And what that does to us is it, is it sinks our boat before we actually get into the battle, right? And, and we just have to be careful about that. And I, what I'm trying to switch things to is helping people to realize that it's important to try to be excellent, not perfect. And, and excellence is a whole different stage. And, and here's how I'll explain it to you. I think when I ask people, if I were to ask most of our listeners, who do you think the most successful program in the country is, they'd say Clemson, they'd say Alabama, you know. Well, I, I, and then I turn to them and I ask them, so has Alabama won the national championship the last five years in a row? No, LSU's won it, Clemson's won it. Whatever team that they select, they usually, I mean, they haven't won it all in a row. But they're, Alabama or Clemson is always knocking on the door. They're always in the conversation, or Ohio State's in the conversation. And so that's what excellence is. It's not being perfect. It's just that you're always in the conversation, and you're doing your best to be in the conversation. You're going to win some. You're going to lose some. But when we become completely outcome-focused, which it's hard not to do, right? But when we're completely outcome-focused, we're setting ourselves up for failure because there's always going to be somebody with a nicer car, a bigger house, more prestige, who's a better athlete than you, who runs faster than you, who jumps higher than you, and you're just setting yourself up for failure. You can be really, really, really good at something and, 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 and be really good at what you do and maybe not be the best in any particular category. So to bring this full circle, if you meet someone who's got a lot of stress and anxiety and they're not quite to that moment in the competition that Simone Biles was at, maybe they're a little out, how do you know whether to tell someone to grit it out, press forward, it'll be okay, do your thing, and how do you know to advise someone, hey, pull back, pull out, hit reset, let somebody else step in, you know, in the case of the Olympics, they got the alternates there, and maybe someone should have told Simone Biles that three or four days ago, or maybe this just did happen in the moment, but sometimes it's building up, but how do you advise someone, a parent or a coach who's in the middle of that process? Yeah, I think, well, and, and like, like you said at the beginning of this conversation, it's, it's tough for me to, to tell you exactly what's going on with Simone because I, I don't know exactly what's going on with her. Right. But I think, I think there were some signs, um, even in, in qualification rounds, that, that there was something going on with her. It wasn't, it wasn't the, the person that performed in the Rio Olympics, right? And my guess is that there's been some, some good efforts, both in the sports psychology world, um, in the clinical psychology world for her to be able to work through some of these things. And I think that they, they were going on good faith that like, hey, some of these tools like breathing techniques, grounding techniques, noting techniques, that these psychological tools that you can put in your tool belt and pull out during competition that, that become very, very helpful um, would, would work and would prevail over time. Clearly, when we, when we got to competition, it wasn't working. And I think some of that is up to the individual player. Like they have to manage like what they can do and what they can't. What I worry about is, is can crippling sport anxiety lead to an accident that, that could cause a lot of damage to someone or, or cause, you know, a serious injury. That's, that's where I start feeling like it crosses the line. Like if I feel like somebody is, is 
not able to, to or uses the tools and is unable to see any sort of a difference in their, you know, in their anxiousness or in their nervousness or in whatever it is that they're feeling. And then they're going to go do, you know, a triple flip with two twists and try and land. I mean, that's where I think this is a little bit different line than maybe some different things that we've seen where, you know, she's 10, 11, 12 feet in the air upside down. And if she's not able to execute that move at a good pace, we could see a serious injury. And so my guess is some sort of conversation took place there that like, hey, if you don't feel like you can do this, let's 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 save this for another day. There's no reason um, to, to to risk physical harm. So I think that's where the line becomes is the conversation with the athlete. Do you think you can still compete and do the normal things that you've normally done? And if the answer is no, because of the anxiousness, then then maybe you have to you have to take a different route. Well, I think we'll leave it right here with the Jerry Sloan quote, because who was tougher than the ultimate tough guy? Who was grittier than Jerry Sloan? And Jerry Sloan, and you had to hear him speak in person a lot, maybe to fully appreciate this, but you know, he could really project, right? He could make his voice heard to the referee across the court and all that kind of stuff. Um, but just really quietly saying, you never know what's going on in somebody else's life. Well, and especially with pro athletes, especially with pro athletes, nobody really cares what's going on in their lives. I've seen, you know, studies where, you know, a pro basketball player is going through a really, really difficult custody battle for his children, and he loves his children, and he's going through all these things, and people can't figure out why he's not scoring 20 and 10, and he's a bum, and he's not playing the way that he should, right? You just never know what's going on, and typically – and, and rightfully so, a lot of these pro athletes like to keep their private life private, right? They don't like, you know, their wives, their spouses, their kids to be involved in the news or in what's going on in their lives. So they keep that quiet. And, you know, the, the, the guy on the 17th row is yelling at him because he's not scoring 20 and 10 anymore. Well, there's a lot going on in his life. We just never know. We just I, never know. I always thought Jerry was informed by uh, you know his own life because I think for a long time he had some level of, um, if not survivor's guilt, and maybe he had that, I don't know, um, but at least kind of analyzing and trying to process why he took the job at his alma mater at Evansville where he'd been a player on an undefeated team and he was going to, you know, in, in a small community that has a lot of pride in its college basketball program, and he was going to lead it back to glory. And, he, you know, he had a lot of memories there. And then he suddenly steps away. He just suddenly leaves and says, nope, I shouldn't do this job. And he's got friends at the university, uh, you know, in the program and all of that, and there's a plane crash, and it's tragic. You can look it up, Evansville Aces and all that. And Jerry, how come I wasn't on that plane? You wouldn't be human if that didn't stay with you for a long time. And so when he says you never know what's going on in somebody's life, you never know how you're circling back to this event that happened years earlier, you know, and trying to process that. And you're right that even without something like that, you know, are you going something in, with your marriage? Are your kids going through something? Uh, your parents, you're working with college athletes. You know, are they losing grandparents? I mean, there's all kinds of stuff going on we don't know about. So, Yeah, and I think, I mean, Jerry, and I, I, I don't know if it was you who told me this or pointed it out to me while he was coaching. I can't remember who pointed it out to me, but it, if you watched him, he was, he was less 
uh, menacing and less difficult on the players in a loss than he was in a win. Yeah, he was true. much harder on those players uh-huh. in a win yeah. situation than a loss. And I don't know if that was because of Dr. Key Tension, who is, was his old buddy that he played against at Ball State while he was in college and was the sport psychology consultant for the Jazz for many years. I don't know if that was on his advice or just Jerry learning over the years, like, hey, you know, the time the time to prove points and to give lessons is in wins, not losses. But he was he was better at the psychological game than I think a lot of us think. I think we all can do a little bit better in the psychological game. I mean, if nothing else, if you're a parent, like quit turning your car into a coffin, you know, like don't kill your kids on the drive home. Like give yourself 45 minutes for both of you to cool down before you talk about the game. And, and just that advice alone can be really, really beneficial. And I get it. It's emotional. I get it. It's your kid. I get it. You know, it's somehow you're invested in it, but, but, the better we can do to create an environment where where kids get to enjoy and learn how to work hard, and then you know if you get to play college, you get to go to the Olympics, or you get to play professional, like that's icing on the cake. But there's nothing wrong with being a really really good high school player, and um, and learning learning from sports and learning about life and learning how to love your kids, and it's 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 important. It's important. I can't imagine how Simone's parents are feeling right now, you know, not being able to be in Japan and be able to give her a hug and love her up. I'm sure there's plenty of phone calls going on, but man, sometimes just that, that touch from your parents, that non-tactile touching or a little hug that releases oxytocin into the system can be really powerful. Riley, as always, we appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate you guys. Thanks for having me on. I can't wait to do the football season, so let's get it going. It won't be long now. We're almost there. Thanks, Riley. Thanks, man. There's Riley Jensen. When we come back, Jazz General Manager Justin Zanuck on the draft. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. The Utah Jazz take the 30th pick in the draft, trade it to Memphis, get three second-round picks, two in the future, but they get the 40th pick last night, and they use Jared Butler. Uh, They use it to get Jared Butler, the uh, Baylor star who helped the Bears win the uh, NCAA championship. He was the most outstanding player of the Final Four, but then he had a health condition, heart condition reportedly, and had to go through a panel of doctors to get cleared to play in the NBA, and that scared people off. So a guy who looked like a first-round pick, maybe late lottery, maybe middle first round, will really never know how it would have worked out because once the health came, the health stuff came on the scene. NBA teams back off, and he falls all the way to pick 40 in the Jazz. Why did the Jazz go get him? What did they see? Justin Zanuck with the media late last night. Can you talk about that? I am allowed. So this, these are kind of like new rules with the NBA. Um, as you guys know, you guys are basically cap experts now, too. So there's certain trades that don't get done until a league year. And things. So they've done a new wrinkle in order to um, – allow this so i'm allowed to talk about jared butler 
I'm allowed to say that we have a, an agreement in principle on his rights. There are other terms, and I cannot speak about those other terms. Um, is Jared going to be allowed? Is, do you anticipate him playing in some of the? Um, we're going to get him in here first, partly on, you know, again, when the trade's allowed to happen and all those things that are tied there. Um, and so we'll just follow the league um, rules and when we can get him cleared that way um, for that. So TBD right now, basically, obviously with the Salt Lake City Summer League and then Vegas, he'll, he'll be here. So playing, not playing, we'll take, you know, we'll, we'll take that by ear. Really? Okay. We get him in for a workout, and if so, did Quinn see him? I mean, how many people could you have over there? So, Jared is, I'm really, first of all, in, in general, not avoiding the question, then it's more, um, I'm really excited for you guys and the community and the city and the state um, to get to know him the way we believe in him, not only as a player, but as a person. Um, he's a special, special guy, and his presence um we've just he's had a great career and he's been playing at the highest level for a long time he's gone through draft interviews we've followed him closely um you know we obviously have people in the organization that have a lot of baylor ties and uh, that gives us great comfort um to kind of have an, a, maybe a better just a really, really good feel about him as a player and as a person. So, um, you know, with the COVID rules, with the compressed season and all those things, um, we've seen him plenty to be able to do it. Obviously, you had some of those health concerns that probably is the reason he was available at 40. What made you confident that those weren't an issue? We're comfortable with Jared as a player, as a person, um, we're excited to add him as, as the Utah Jazz. I don't want to get into any other of those details. It's just that we feel really good about him. So we're excited to have him. What, what specifically stands out about his game that makes you comfortable about his fit here with the Jazz? So, look, and not to hedge on anything, we're, we're talking about a guy who's now about to become a rookie in the NBA with a highly competitive championship competitive organization. So he's got a varied skill set that he's displayed um, at the highest levels of college basketball with a lot of experience, played in really big games, has produced in big games, um, a great leader, a great teammate, and the multi-skilled aspect of his game uh, I think will fit well in, in what we ask our players to do here and what coach does is to be able to dribble, pass, shoot, lead, um, guard, and he checks all of those. How much, um, how much did it help you in, in wanting to integrate him here that, you know, they're uh, at the college level, um, show the propensity of being able to play both guard positions, the one and the two and be positionally versatile? Yeah, I mean... We've talked about that a lot, Tony, right? And all of us about in today's NBA positional versatility being able to, you know, he's a very, um, he's a very good athlete. He's physically strong, tough, mentally tough. Um, being able to put up with the grind of a season, you know, is new for any rookie, but, you know, he, in my opinion, probably one of the most well-prepared ones for the level of basketball he's had to play and maintain for the last few years. So 
you know, he's got as good a start head start as anybody that's coming in without ever playing in the NBA before. Excuse me. Would it be accurate to say that you wanted Jared uh, originally, and then you knew that you could probably trade down and be able to have him? So, again, I can't get into sort of all the other, you know, and I know, like, I'm smiling to myself that I'm about to spout a bunch of, like, 100 cliches of basketball, and, you know, I want to tell you that they are true, and they are, but I'll be sitting up here at some other point, too, probably, but he was somebody that we were really excited when we had a chance to get him. Like it was a no brain for us. Are you able to give us any uh, additional details on the details of the trade with no. I can just say that there are other terms. I had to read that. Uh, Steven Schwartz had to make sure to tell me what I could and couldn't do. We're all rookies here on this part. So <laughs> otherwise we'd be here to like, I don't know. Tomorrow, 6 a.m. <laughs> so, okay, going along with that, how different was tonight versus all the other ones that you've been with? I've done them a few times, yeah. you know, obviously with lots of great partners, mentors. Uh, we got a great group of guys that the front office and coaching staff, um, all very integrated, you know, doing the work like we've always done. Um, so, felt more familiar. The thing that was interesting was that we hadn't had, even though we've we had a draft last year. This feels much more like a normal process and, you know, more people in the room like it, it's been before. Uh, having Ryan Smith's presence here, uh, his energy, um, he's so committed to building a championship-level team. And, you know, the things, you know, obviously I've told you guys before, and you guys understand that the draft is only one part of how we build a team for next season. And we have to do that on multiple levels next season, two seasons from now, three seasons from now. All I can tell you, um, two things. One, we have a plan. We always have a plan. And we're going to go execute that to the best of our ability. And Ryan's resources and commitment to spending are going to be at levels that we've never done with the Jazz. Um, I can obviously be able to tell you more when team building so linked to the draft free agency trades so that you get the whole picture. I don't even know what's going to happen, obviously, because there's a plan and then some people have to say yes, some people have to say no, and then we can all sit here. So I kind of ignore the like hot takes, you know, what draft picks associated with the jazz or what this means or any other moves that happen to come out in the future. Like it's just like, take a deep breath and you know, you can kind of give us your opinion when everything's done. That'll be the other hot takes. <laughs> Last year, you talked about wanting to find specifically kind of a skill that pops or one elite skill. Does Jared have that? And if so, what is it? Um, so, you know, look, every draft's different. And, you know, you guys do a great job, frankly. I read all your guys' stuff in terms of your own draft analysis and how everyone's different. Some of them are really strong at the top. Some of them are speculated that it's really deep from 20 to 40. It changes. And then we're all wrong until we really know what happens like three or four years from now. So to answer your question with Jared, I think the thing that really pops for him is just, I'm not sure that we're going to find out, you know, 
the speed is different in the NBA than college. The strength requirements, the physicality, the grind is different. How he develops and then what role, which, again, you know, this is a high-level team, a highly competitive team, a veteran team. So we kind of can give them a runway. But probably the thing that pops is his versatility about, I'm not sure there's a situation that he hasn't seen at some level. And he has the skill set, the physicality, the demeanor to be able to handle those new things really well. So probably less of a ramp up because he's just played more. He's experienced. You know, I mean, he's going to be your favorite. Um, maybe, I'm, you know, Jared will hear this and think I'm putting too high of an expectation, but I talked to my wife tonight. You know, she stayed up and uh, she's with grandma and the kids. And I just said, I think I found Lucy's new favorite player, my youngest, because she'll meet him and she'll, be like, she'll have posters everywhere on her, in her room with him. So. You mentioned earlier your, you know, the Baylor connections that you guys have. How is that? I mean, I can't imagine that there's also not other teams with Baylor connections. Sure. Right? So, like, how does that make you so much more comfortable? I just think that, and I'm not saying, you know, every team does really good work. I think when you have relations, and we have a lot of relationships with schools, and I think we have, I'm very proud of our staff. Um, that does a really good job of like making sure that we have as much intel information. Um, but we we've had an opportunity just to closely follow that. Maybe some from personal ties too, not necessarily to Jared, but to the program that gives you a lot more confidence in the information you're seeing taking in. There's always a little confidence level of the information you hear right maybe like your sources like hey there's a source here that's 95 percent confident that you're good and then there's one like eh, 50 so it's different with with baylor the program the types of players they produce the history of their program how competitive they are they along with that gives us a very high confidence level of you know more of the personal stuff Obviously, watch the film, workouts, measurements, those things. You can make a basketball evaluation, but you're projecting humans. And I know I've said that to you guys before, that you're projecting someone into a new environment, how they handle it. The NBA is completely different. You're going from a scholarship and college life to a profession and a job. And some guys are equipped for it. Some guys aren't. Some guys you think are going to be equipped for it they are some you know you're not sure and it works out great so i think jared's very well equipped to handle the next stage of his career and has the skill set to give himself a chance what are you uh, looking for out of some of the specifically with go elijah guys who they're essentially going into a second rookie year yeah that's that's exactly how i would term it tony um COVID, the G League shortened season, untimely injuries for especially Elijah and Doe, um, some of our own uh, health stuff where Trent didn't get as many games. Trent Forrest didn't get as many. He got some good minutes up here, but just the guys the year before, like Mie and Jarrell and Jawan, they got 50, 60 games plus time. So, and with how compressed the season was, like, 
those guys aren't getting to play five on five even with the, when they've been with the team. They might get some three on threes and four on four if we even did that because we're playing the games just kept stacking up. So this is a real opportunity for them to play um, and just really feel a professional level. I felt it was, I said this, I think last year, I mean, we literally drafted guys and then they show up in four camp. I think it was like four days later in a year like this, even though it's compressed, we're going to get with Jared and Elijah and dope and Trent probably 40 to 50 touches combining summer league and along with maybe the two or three weeks before we actually start training camp where they're with our health performance guys, they're in a group, they're playing. It's just going to be so beneficial for them. But it's not a, oh, he did A, B, and C in summer league or, or struggled with this. Like now we have to just make a decision. It's just this is the path of their development that they just didn't have that last year. So it's impossible to say, and we were a good team. So we weren't playing a lot of young guys. We were, there weren't that many opportunities to just like roll guys out and just say, okay, figure it out. And just first time we've gone to talk to you since changes. And I'm just kind of curious, generally, do you have or want to give a, a vision statement for kind of, <laughs> you know, what the jazz look like and, and kind of a, I don't know if it's a new era or how different it'll be, but kind of what do you, what do you envision for this team? Look, um, it obviously by default, whether I'm sitting up here or not, it's a a new era because of Ryan Smith and his ownership. Um, And I've said it before, but I want to make it clear, like his energy and vision and commitment to the city and state and and this team is going to pay huge dividends down the road. And he's willing and able to make those investments on a yearly basis, which is awesome. Um, my job is to continue to help him acclimate to this and get a chance to see how we operate. You know, he's, he's gotten a year under his belt. He's about to go into his second year and his insight, his instincts have been really helpful for us as we built a a relationship. And I think that'll evolve over time, you know, but I think a lot of the, you know, a lot, some of that is a function of where our team is at right now, not just because it's new ownership. It's we're not a rebuilding team. We're not, you know, a, a playoff competitive team where we have championship aspirations. So, but that's been a lot of years of work where we, you know, gotten some things right and made some mistakes. And but you just keep going forward, and Ryan's going to help us continue to push that forward. So. I'll hold off on a definitive statement other than I'm really excited um, to be working with Ryan and what it, what that means for this community, the, the team, internal staff, coach, like all the collaboration, everything's been great. And uh, it's been a, a different transition, but a really seamless one in terms of the processes and how we make decisions. You said that Jared is going to be one of our favorites. Yeah. When you're doing... I guess the just one-on-one interviews with players mm-hmm. in the pre-draft process. What is it that you're looking for? Me personally, um, and this, <laughs> I wish that there was an algorithm that you could say, "Hey, this guy checks A, B, and C. He will automatically be this." Um, you're still betting on humans, and then sometimes you really, really like people that you meet, um, and you have to kind of remove that from 
the basketball. This gives you good confidence. Like, okay, if he's good enough, then he's got a real chance. So we had made the basketball operate, you know, evaluation. Like he's more than good enough. We think he has a chance to be really good. And so to answer the question, when we're interviewing and trying to get to know guys, we make it pretty informal. We're not making them do a case study or, you know, read this chart or what do you think? What's this plot look like? We really just want to get to know them. But guys that demonstrate self-awareness of their own weaknesses, of things that make them happy, how well-rounded they are, what they like, um, the self-awareness part's good because there aren't perfect players that come into the NBA and there is a development path. So making sure that every, I guess when I say there aren't perfect players, it means every, every player that comes in has stuff to work on or get better or improve a strength or, improve, you know, help work on a weakness. When you have a better idea yourself of what you need to work on and the self-discipline and the work ethic to address that, to be coached, like we have a pretty good player development program, but if guys don't put in the work or aren't working on the right things because they're not self-aware, then that's just a lot. It's not to say it can't be done, but it makes it a lot harder. So you can probably translate that Jared has a lot of those things. There's Jazz GM, Justin Zanuck. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines. Stay with us.